please, to 1 Corinthians chapter 15. 1 Corinthians chapter 15. Verse 58, the last verse of 1 Corinthians 15. Paul said, Therefore, my beloved brethren, be steadfast, immovable, always abounding in the work of the Lord, knowing that your labor is not in vain in the Lord. John, could you hit the pause button? Therefore, my beloved brethren, be steadfast, immovable, always abounding in the work of the Lord, knowing that your labor is not in vain in the Lord. Have you ever felt like within yourself, has anything I've ever done for the Lord been worthwhile? Has my labor amounted to anything at all? What did it achieve? Who did it benefit? When my life's tale is finally told, what will it all count for? If you've ever thought that, here's the answer. Here's the answer right here. Knowing that your labor is not in vain in the Lord. Amen? It may not seem much in the estimation of others. It may not even seem much in your own personal estimation. But the Lord sees it through different eyes. And the divine bookkeeper has recorded it. Every good deed, every act of charity, every encouraging word that you've spoken to others, every step of faith that you've taken, every hour spent in faithful service, every private act of devotion, everything is in his ledger. Glory to God. Sunday school teachers, youth workers, praying mothers, godly fathers, musicians, singers, administrators, those who labor in the word and preaching and teaching, those who evangelize, who go out and gossip the gospel, all of that, know today that your labor is not in vain in the Lord. Why? Why is your labor not in vain in the Lord? First of all, because God himself will reward you. In Mark chapter 9, Jesus said, Even if you give only a cup of cold water in my name, you shall not lose your reward. Right down to the simplest act of kindness, God records that to give you a reward. Psalm 58 and 11, surely there is a reward for the righteous. And God has even made the very creature to respond well to rewards. The little dog loves to be patted. The cat likes to be stroked. The donkey likes a carrot, doesn't it? The old horse likes a sugar lump. There's something about a reward that motivates us that helps us. We say to our children, now, if you do very well, you'll get such and such. If you pass this exam, I'll buy your favorite whatever. 
as an incentive, as a way of reward, an acknowledgement. A reward is an acknowledgement. A reward says, I've noticed your hard work. I've seen your effort, your endeavors, your sacrifices. I've seen that you're motivated to do whatever you're doing. I've noticed all of that. I've seen all of that to please, to excel, to be, to have, to do. All of those things. And I'm going to reward you. I'll pick that up in a moment. Your labor is not in vain in the Lord, for God will reward you. Your labor is not in vain in the Lord, for it will live on in the lives of others. Parents, you will live on in the life of your children. What you've taught them, what you've shown them, Sunday school teachers, it will live on the lives of those little children that you taught in Sunday school class. Pastors, ministers, live on in the lives of church members. What we do for the Lord will live on in someone, somewhere, somehow. Maybe in the life of a church or a community or even a country. The ladies, as we've just been told, went to that place and they blessed those women that has been beaten and battered. Now, can you imagine what they must have felt on the inside when complete strangers came to them and encouraged them and blessed them and just loved them? That will live on on them. There'll be fruit come out of that. Your labor is not in vain in the Lord. Smallest act of kindness. Things that perhaps you never even noticed that you said or you did. But others noticed and God noticed. And he marked it in his book. See, labor for the Lord is never ever wasted. It produces something for time and for eternity. Isn't it amazing to think that this very day, that something you may do or say today will ripple all into eternity. To the day when you stand before the Lord and the books will be opened and you'll be rewarded for those things therein. Almost every great and godly organization in the world today, began with the vision of either one or two people. And God gave them a vision and the, the heart to do something. And so they began to do this. And when they labored and labored and labored and labored until even when they were long gone, that work still lives on in others that they have produced. YWAM, or Youth with a Mission, is officially known, began with Lauren Cunningham and his wife, Darlene. And he had a, a vision and a passion for young people to reach other young people. And God gave him a dream a vision, actually, 
And he saw like waves lapping on the shores of foreign lands. And as he looked closer and closer, he could see it was young people going into these lands and sharing the gospel with everybody they would meet. And it took several years before that vision actually began to happen. But it did. And today there are thousands and thousands and thousands Tens of thousands, maybe hundreds of thousands people involved with YWAM all over the world. I think Lauren Cunningham was about, I think he's about 80 years old. But his work is living on through the lives of others. And then once he had that going, he had an idea about mercy ships. Rachel's not here this morning, but if she was here, her ears would pick up right now. Because Rachel loves and hopes to and wants to get involved with mercy ships. Uh, those mercy ships who uh, take doctors and nurses and, and, and volunteers all over the world to different ports. And they, and they provide operations and, and medical care to tens of thousands of people. For years they've been doing this. And it lives on in the lives of others. Youth with a Mission is the largest missionary society in the world. And every year, about a quarter of a million young people are involved with Youth with a Mission, going out in short-term missions. A quarter of a million every year began with one man with a vision. And it's living on. Hudson Taylor Martin there is very fond of quoting. He's read much about him. Hudson Taylor of OMF, OMF International Overseas Missionary Fellowship began as the China Inland Mission. Hudson Taylor died in 1905. But today, in the lives of countless thousands of people, his ministry goes on continually. And what a tremendous ministry it is, OMF. Charles and Letty Cowman, who began OMS International, Oriental Missionary Society. Uh, long since dead, but their ministry continues on in the lives of others. Uh, Letty Cowman, some of you maybe read a little devotional book that Streams in the Desert. Anybody ever read Streams in the Desert? Some of you old ones maybe read that. Streams in the Desert. Fantastic little book. She's long since dead, but that book circulates the globe, particularly among Chinese people. Well, they ministered for years. And so it lives on. Why am I saying all this? To encourage you that what you do, or perhaps your ministry, will maybe live on, maybe live on in your children, it maybe live on through some of your family members, it maybe live on through people you never even met. Who knows? I'm hoping whenever I go, whenever that may be, this will live on through others. Or when I retire, whenever that may be. You may have to shoot me first, but whenever that may be. It will live on through others. 
George Verver, Operation Mobilization, OAM. What a wonderful ministry. What a tremendous thing. Now, he's still alive, of course, but again, all over the world. Has anybody ever been on the, the big ships, the Dulas or the Logos? Anybody? Few of us. If ever comes docks in Belfast, please go to it. They've got the largest libraries, Christian libraries in the world. I was, they come into where Ferns came from, they come in there all the time. But two years ago, Sally and I with Claire, Claire and Mark knows the guy, when it comes into dock there, they know the guy that runs all the, all the activities on board. And so he, he gave me a, a tour, all 13 decks, I think it was. And, uh, and of course, I was busting to go in to see the bookshop. <laughs> and, uh, and because their day hadn't started with the public coming in, I got the whole place to myself. Isn't that wonderful? I mean, I was, it was like all my Christmases put together again, so it was great, so it was. And, uh, and so that great ship goes to dock after dock after dock all over the world, spreading the gospel. And they have hundreds working on that, and they go into towns and cities with the gospel and into schools and everywhere. And uh, George Verber is a wonderful man of God. David Wilkerson was a rural Pennsylvanian pastor in a small Assemblies of God church way out in the sticks. And uh, he decided that he was spending too much time watching television and the Lord uh, challenged him, and so he got rid of his TV, he sold it. And he said he was going to spend that time that he watched TV, he was going to spend it in prayer and seeking God. And after months of doing this, he was in his room, and it was about 2 o'clock in the morning, he was just finishing his time of prayer, and he felt strangely attracted to Lifetime magazine, which was in his study. And he thought, Lord, do you want to say something to me? you want to show me something in this? And he started to flick through it. And as he flicked through it, he found a case that was happening in the city of New York where street gangs, uh, and a Hispanic street gang, seven young men murdered a young handicapped boy, knifed him to death. And they were on trial for the murder. And as he read that, his heart got burdened for these gang members and what they were doing to others and what they were doing to themselves. Not only were they destroying lives, they were destroying their own lives. And so he felt greatly burdened to do something to help them somehow. So himself and his youth leader drove the 300-odd miles to New York just to see if there was anything they could do. And they got there, and the trial was in the midst of happening. And so... He went right into the courtroom. In the midst of the trial, he stood up to speak to the judge if he could talk on their behalf. And he was immediately arrested. <laughs> he was immediately, the police jumped on him. They didn't know who he was. They arrested him. But because they found out then later who he was, they released him. But when he was arrested, it caused such a big ruckus within the court. And, of course, all the press was there. And he's... His name and photograph was on TV that night and all over the pages. But, but, as far as the gangs, the ones he was trying to reach was concerned, they thought, hey, he's one of us. The police is after him. He must be one of us. <laughs> and that gave him an entree 
to go and meet these gangs. And him, he started to go every week and preach to them, and they were getting saved. And then Nicky Cruz, who was the leader of the Mamos, who was a very bloodthirsty gang, he threatened to kill him. He threatened to kill him and cut him up in pieces, he says. And Wilkerson says, well, you, you can't cut me up in pieces and you can lay them out in the ground, but every piece will say I love you. And just by saying that to Nicky Cruz, he couldn't get that out of his head. The Holy Spirit used that to convict him. And Nicky Cruz got saved. The great gang leader got saved. And then many gangs got saved. And Nicky Cruz became a great evangelist. David Wilkerson's dead now, but his ministry lives on. And that began Teen Challenge. Teen Challenge to help drug addicts, alcoholics, solvent abusers is the, the most successful program for drug addicts and alcoholics in the world, bar none. The American government came to them and says, how do you do this? Why are you having so much success? And that still goes on all over the world to this day. And so even though David Wilkerson is dead and his wife is dead, but the work continues even to this day. Just one more. Everybody knows about the Red Cross and the Red Crescent. Do you know that was started by a believer? Henri Dunant, a Swiss Christian believer whose father and mother were staunch evangelicals. And his dad, who was a very, very wealthy man, would go out and help the poor in his city. And Henri Dunant caught that vision and started to do that and reach people. And then, the time of Napoleon, a war, one war that Napoleon was conducting, he wanted to go to Napoleon to see if they could help the troops that were dying in the field, if there's any way they could get involved. And so the Red Cross then began as a humanitarian relief organization that today has 125 million members all over the world between that and the Red Crescent. And even though he's long since dead, but his work still lives on through others. By the way, the Red Cross, that was never... That was devised as an emblem for their organization, but it was never a religious emblem. Actually, it's a take on the Swiss flag. If you ever look at the Swiss flag, it's a take on the Swiss flag because he was Swiss. It's a non-religious organization. It's a humanitarian organization, but it was started by a believer, a true believer in Christ who had a compassion in the heart to reach out for others. And this day as we speak the Red Cross and the Red Crescents all over the world and all those war zones you'll see their wagons with a, with a cross with a crescent on it remember it was started by a believer and it's still going on to this day wouldn't it, nice be think, wouldn't it be nice to think that, that something that you're involved in or that you have done or, or you have, your ministry or whatever it would continue on through somebody else you're going to get your reward but it wouldn't it be lovely if it continues on through somebody else God rewards those who diligently seek Him, Hebrews 11, 6 says. Those who diligently, in an earnest, wholehearted, continual, consistent way, if you seek the Lord, God will reward you. Deuteronomy 4, 29 says, Seek the Lord with all of your heart and your soul. 
Proverbs 18, 17. I love those who love me, and those who seek me diligently will find me. There's a promise for you. If you are doing your best to seek after the Lord, you'll find him. And he's a God who rewards those who diligently seek him. What are the rewards of God? Well, there's the peace of God in our hearts, isn't there? Jesus said in John 14, Peace I leave with you. My peace I give unto you. Not as the world gives, give I unto you. Let not your heart be troubled, neither let it be afraid. There's lots of things in life today that cause your heart to be troubled and to be afraid. Can you imagine if you were an, an, is it a Yazizi? Yazizi? Is that, is that how to pronounce that tribe that's out there right now in Iraq, in those mountains, that's surrounded by those Muslim bloodthirsty murderers that want to kill them and behead them? Can you imagine if you're up that mountain today, would your heart not be troubled? Would it not be afraid? There's lots in this world today that's going to cause us to be afraid and our hearts to be troubled. But Jesus says, hey, I can give you peace. Not as the word gets. I can give you peace the world hasn't got. And we need that, don't we? Here's a family needs that peace that the world can't give. There's those of you in the congregation who are going through stuff that nobody knows anything about. There's those of you going through stuff that I know about that nobody else knows about. And you need the peace of God that passes all understanding. Jesus says, my peace I give unto you. What? That must be a supernatural peace. That's not a peace that you're going to get every day, is it? Think of what Jesus faced. Think of what he went through. And yet in the midst of all of that, he had a peace that the world couldn't give. Boy, we need that, don't we? Absolutely. That's one of his rewards. There's peace in your heart. Rest of God in your souls. Come unto me, all you who are labor and are heavy laden, and I will give you rest. I will give you rest. Are you burdened? Are you heavy laden? He says, come unto me. Sit at my feet. Spend time in my presence. And I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you. Learn of me. I'm meek and lowly in heart. And the promise is, you shall find rest unto your souls. We need the soundness of God in our minds, don't we? God has not given us the spirit of fear or of timidity, but of power and love and a sound mind. Second Timothy chapter 1. Why do you think Paul wrote that? It's this way you've got to read things in context. If you read the, the beginning of 2 Timothy, you see why he wrote that. This know in the last days perilous times shall come. And it gives a whole list he gives of the perils of the last days. Are we living in the last days? Look at your television tonight. 
We're in the last days. It's screaming at us. The word cannot go on the way it's going on. And so in the midst of all of that, he says, about a sound mind, a correct mind, a protected mind, a saved mind, a mind that thinks rightly. A discerning mind. And we need that too, don't we? All kinds of stuff is happening right now in this world. More stuff is going to happen. And we need to be able to have a sound mind to understand what's going on. This whole conflict in the Middle East with Israel and Gaza, listen, beyond all of the politics, beyond all of the hype, beyond all of that stuff, there's a spiritual reason. And there's a prophetic reason that the politicians in the world would never get in a million years. So you be careful what you get caught up in. Have a mind that can discern. Look beyond. We wrestle not against flesh and blood, but against what? Principalities and powers, spiritual wickedness in high places. So you, you need to be able to have a, a Christian worldview, a biblical worldview. Just don't have the worldview of the politicians. They don't get it. Tony Blair goes out and thinks he's going to solve the Middle East problem. He hasn't got a hope. He doesn't even know how it starts, where it's going, or why it's happening. This is why they're having so much trouble sorting this. Because they've never really got to the root of it. But we know what the root of it is. We need a sound mind. We need the provision of God in our daily needs. And this is one of the rewards of God. I've never seen the righteous forsaken. I've never seen a seed begging for bread. God rewards the righteous. And he makes daily provision for us. Glory to God. The Bible says he opens his hand, satisfies the desire of every living thing. He knows every sparrow that falls. He knows every hair on our head. Can he not help us daily? Of course he can. What does the prayer give us this day our daily bread? We trust him on a daily basis. You know, you live one day at a time. You only eat one meal at a time. You can only lie in one bed at a time. You can only drive one car at a time. And if we learn that, and trust Him every day, every moment of every day, we put ourselves into His hands. Knowing that your labor is not in vain in the Lord. That's why He says, Therefore, be steadfast, unmovable, always abounding in the work of the Lord. And so that you don't get discouraged in that, knowing that your labor is not in vain in the Lord. The Lord is a rewarder of those who diligently seek Him. Amen? Let's pray. Lord, we bless you today. We, we thank you that each and every one of us here is held in your hand. We thank you for your angels who watch over us. 
We thank you for your daily protection. We thank you, Lord, as we seek you, we will find you. We bless you for every reward that you've ever given that we have noticed and acknowledged. We thank you for it. Forgive us, Lord, for all of the blessings that we never thanked you for, that we just took for granted. So we thank you for our daily bread, our daily supply, and how you lead and guide. And Lord, you're in our tomorrows before we get there. We put our bed and head in the pillow at night in our beds, Lord. Lord, you stay awake all night watching us. You never slumber or sleep. And whenever we awaken, you're there. So we bless you for this. So Lord, help us all today to trust you on a daily basis and enjoy your goodness in our lives and your faithfulness towards us and your mercy and your compassion. So we give you thanks for all of this in Jesus' precious and mighty name. Amen.